Welcome to Conversations with Buddy. It's 9 o'clock on a Monday morning. Uh, coming to you live from the Rec Podcast Studio here in Kaiser, Oregon, where we hear the stories of average people like you and I who impact each of us for a bigger purpose. Today's guest, uh, he's been a friend of mine for, I'd say, three or four or five years. I've known his dad for a long time. But uh, this young man uh, has impacted me personally. Um, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about him. But first, let me welcome Victor Hux. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being here, man. So let me tell you a little bit about Victor Hux. So Victor, uh, he's been married for eight years. Yeah. Those are good years, right? Yep. Okay, yep. good. Good, I, tough. Fun. Good and tough. Yeah. Okay. He has one daughter. Her name's Juniper. She goes by Junie, and she's the cutest thing ever. And you have some news about a boy on the way, so that's cool. Yeah. You are a pastor's kid, so we call him a PK. Yep. I knew some of those growing up. You're the oldest of two brothers. Mm-hmm. Three, well, three brothers total. I have two brothers, yeah. Gotcha, exactly. Yeah. Yep. The oldest of three brothers. There you go. You're a scuba diver. You like music. You majored in music. Yep. And you're a novice woodworker. Very novice, yeah. <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, you've done, You've gotten to do a lot of amazing traveling and meet a lot of interesting people. Let's just start with that real quick. So where have you traveled to and uh, what? why was that important to you? So my... Back in, I think it was 2003, so that's pretty little. My my dad received a grant from the Lilly Foundation and got to, um, he had been teaching the Alpha course, which is kind of like a new believer introduction, you know, here's yeah. what we believe and why. He'd been teaching that for uh, about 10 years and wrote this essay saying, hey, it'd be really neat for me to to do two things. One, go in and meet Nikki Gumbel, who created that program in London. And two, when my dad was in seminary, he uh, he babysat for a man from South Africa named Chenu, uh, Chenuani Farazani. And he was an outspoken critic of the apartheid government, had been imprisoned and tortured multiple times, and was in the United States for rehab. So uh, he had gotten enough international attention. They didn't want to kill him. So they sent him to the U.S. and banished him from South Africa. He ended up being an adjunct professor at my dad's seminary. And my dad babysat his kids and got to know him that way. And so he said it'd be really neat to go visit him, see him in his home um, now that they're a free people, essentially. So he wrote this essay and they gave him the grant. So in 2004, we went to... Uh, we first went and visited my dad's friend in Sweden and hmm. spent some time up there, uh, visited my mom's friend in Switzerland, and then went and spent some time in London. And my dad got to attend a, an alpha course, um, kind of seminar, leader's seminar or something yeah. like that. And then the following year, we spent six weeks in South Africa with the Farzanis. Um, and Chenu was, at the time, the Speaker of the House for the, the state, the province he was in. So... As a 10-year-old, we're driving around with armed bodyguards and wow. have a light we can put on top of the car and um, got to see, you know, the facilities he was tortured in, got to hear the stories of, you know, um, just some really incredible things and see a really, a couple really amazing examples of forgiveness and repentance. Wow. Um, you know, one he got a phone call one night and the, he said, You'll, you will not believe who this was. And uh, my dad says, well, who was it? He goes, this was a man who tortured me when I was in prison. 
and he called to ask if I could be a reference on a job application. <laughs> no kidding. So got to see a lot of really neat stuff like that at a pretty pretty young age, pretty formational age. Yeah. Um, and then in college, I got to travel around the country playing at different churches and playing for camps and things. And so I got to meet a lot of interesting people, see a lot of different churches, yeah. a lot of different dynamics, um, how they're run, how they do things, what from my perspective worked and didn't and what what mattered and what didn't and found a lot of things we focus on don't matter as much as some of the things we don't focus on. Yeah, that sounds absolutely true. Well, let's segue into that. So music is one of your passions. Mm -hmm. uh, I mentioned that. I want to learn more about that. So first of all, where did you grow up at other than mm -hmm. your travels? Where did you go to college at? And where did you play music at? And what did okay. you play? So I, I was born up in Galata, Montana. Okay. Um, I think I was population 11, and my brother was 12, and my dad pastored three churches up there. Um, so had a, I think it was a 60-mile rotation every Sunday morning. Oh, wow. Are you kidding and, me? Yeah, and, and that's the, you know, I think the collective congregation size was maybe 100. Um and that was just how it was, you know, uh, a lot of pastors got assigned up on the, the prairie mm -hmm. and it's, it's just nothing but flat wheat and cattle farms. Um, <laughs> it was about 50 miles south of the Canadian border. So really hot in the summer, really cold in the winter yeah. and really windy. And my dad loved it out there. He grew up in Southern California. So it was a nice to have yeah. clean air and not a ton of people, but my mom grew up in the mountains and. Western Washington, then Eastern Washington. So drove drove her nuts. It's um, <laughs> like I want to get out of here. Yeah, but when I was a year and a half, and my middle brother was like six weeks old, we moved to Salem, and so lived here, grew up here. My dad pastors Our Savior's Lutheran Church and has since '96. Wow. And uh, was there till college. Went to New Hope Christian College in Eugene, mm -hmm. and um, went there to to study music. I'm a drummer. Uh, that's my my biggest passion in music, um, but I've had to kind of pick up. I, I sang, as you know, in choir throughout call, or high school and um, back to the Salem Boys Choir days mm -hmm. and uh, had to pick up some guitar and took piano lessons before drums. So play a little bit of everything. Um, I actually led worship on guitar this past weekend and then two weeks ago on keyboard so that's kind of cool I just enough that. to get by on those but drums is where i'm where that's i'm happiest yeah i wish i had one ounce of what you've got going on but <laughs> i don't that's cool that's awesome um in college you met a guy mm -hmm. uh one of your mentors tell yeah. me about your mentor so the the college um used to be eugene bible college and back in the 70s a guy named wayne cordero went there after he'd recently been saved and um that was a, the college was, you know, struggling a little bit and he, God really put on his heart to mentor young Christian leaders. And so he came and he had a very successful church in Hawaii, New Hope, Oahu, and he came and invested in the school and ended up, um, I think it was my senior year, maybe stepping in as the, the president. And I had worked, you know, I went there and got my degree and, and had, done work study uh, jobs through there and some of the admin things. And so I kind of had a foot in the door already and, and he offered me a job 
afterward um, working in student services, which turned into financial aid, which turned into student accounts and donor accounts and um, kind of pushed me into where I am now, which is really neat uh, to, to look at in retrospect. But he, uh, the, my first kind of real in with him was they were looking for workers for, he has a, a horse boarding farm Mm -hmm. out just west of Eugene with a lot of landscaping. And so he would hire college students to do the landscaping for him. And I remember showed up and I had already kind of accepted a job with better pay up in Salem. So I was going to have to commute every day. And this was a little better pay and I didn't have to commute, you know, an hour each day. So, or two hours each day. So I took the job and I show up and I'm already pretty happy about it. And <laughs> and it was my brother and, a, and another friend of ours and, and myself. And he goes, which one of you is the oldest? And I said, well, me. And he goes, you just got a raise. You're in charge now. Oh. <laughs> so that was fun. It's um, a great lesson. But I got to know him well. And then his daughter and son, they had a um, kind of a guest house that they lived in while they were building their house on the property and so their daughter and son-in-law and their three kids had lived there for the past several years. Mm-hmm. They moved back to Hawaii, and when Pastor Wayne would go visit Hawaii and preach or, or do whatever over there, he would ask us to come stay there and house it. And finally, he just said, we were living in on-campus apartments. He said, what are you charging? Where are they charging you for rent? And told him what it was, and he goes, I'll undercut them by 50 bucks a month Sweet. if you come live here. And, are you kidding me? Oh, and you can, you know, muck stalls and do stuff like that for to pay your rent. So yeah. it was a really good setup for a struggling broke college student. But I got to see him beside, you know, behind the scenes. Yeah, the role, Wayne. Um, yeah, and and see just a. Um, I was always very wary of of big church preachers, and part of that was traveling around, seeing these different churches, yeah. a lot of charisma. And then a lot of scandal, and those things often went hand in hand. Um, but when I, so I, I assumed the same, you know, it's kind of how I operate. And then uh, guilty until proven innocent, okay, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I got to see him, and I remember one time we were a piece of a tractor had busted, and we were trying to pound a bolt back in, and he's. He's taking a crescent wrench, not the right tool, but yeah. he's working on it and he's smacking it, smacking it. And this is metal on metal and he misses and just smashes his thumb and he goes, shoot. And I thought, all right, it's real. It's real. <laughs> That's about as, as raw as it gets. That's so, um, but yeah, just a, an incredible guy. And then I, I worked for him at the college too. So I was getting a lot of leadership training and, yeah. um, you know, lessons about not only the ministry side of, of a church and and uh, a ministry, you know, organization, but yeah. also the business side of it, and learned a lot. Um, I'd never done anything financially related, and there I was, you know, going to. I had to fly to Denver and attend a federal aid training, and which was an experience. I stayed in a twenty thirty dollar a night hostel in downtown Denver. Um, the, I learned a lot. <laughs> That's funny. A lot of stuff I didn't really care to learn. Um, but so it was just, you know, kind of trial by fire. And, and he would always say, you know, you're we're flying the plane. The plane's already in the air. 
you got to figure out how to fix it. That's right. <laughs> and, That's right. And that was uh, confusing and frustrating and difficult, um, but really a good way to learn and, and grow. Um, Welcome to leadership, you know. by the way. That's how it operates. You don't have the manual on exactly right. case by case. Yeah. You're flying the plane, figure out how to make it work. Right. Keep it running. We're going to segue a little bit uh, and talk about really what you do for a living because you're mm-hmm. a financial advisor. Uh, you're probably more than that. You're probably part marriage counselor, <laughs> um, whatever. But before we go dive into the finance part, I want to talk about some fun stuff. So you yeah. scuba dive. Mm-hmm. Uh, you do woodworking. Um, which of those two do you love most? Oh, man. I So I don't do either near as much as I'd like to. Okay. Um, my... I guess the family trade on my mom's side is carpentry. Okay. Um, but I don't do as much of that. I, I built a bed for my daughter recently. And, and so I do little things like that that make yeah. me feel like I'm probably better than I am. I did more in high school, um, but it's because I could get a credit for it. But I, I really enjoy it. And I used to build drums. I I'd put together a few drums and sold them and thought for sure if you know my retirement plan i think i'll be building a lot of drums for so fun. if i buy these drums from you are you also going to teach me how to play the drums uh yeah if i can find a, a couple hundred hours to put into building it you a drum set done yeah okay, it's okay. A deal. If you can find that couple hundred hours, right. <laughs> yeah well cool well sounds like uh woodworking is fun but tell me yeah. one place you went scuba diving that you loved there was um so where I did my, I, I've gotten to do a couple tropical dives and I, I like them, but I also think they spoil you and I live in the Northwest, so I should be able to dive in the Northwest. Um, there's a place up in the Hood's, Hood River Canal, yeah. Hood, not Hood River Canal, Hood Canal um, near the Puget Sound called Sun Rock and it's a marine preserve. I like going and harvesting something to eat, yeah. but this is just a marine preserve and so I got to see... Uh, uh, you know, big octopus and a bunch of wolf eels, which are creepy but cool. Yeah. Um, and a lion mane jellyfish with probably a 20-foot trail. Um, so that that's a pretty cool spot. It's cold, but it's it's really neat. You don't get to see that very often because, you know, most of those animals are harvested or, mm-hmm. you know, shied away. And yeah. They know right where the borders of the marine preserve are and Isn't they don't that go interesting? out it. Yeah. yeah. It's like an elk ref- refuge. Yeah, right. Elk come down to the, the refuge. I go to Coos Bay with my family, and there's a refuge before you get into Coos right, yeah. Bay. And they, they just stand out there like no big deal. But yeah. when you go hunting they're gone. Uh, in a different area, they're, <laughs> yeah. they're nowhere to be found. So same deal. Yep. Yeah, smarter than we think. Let's talk about kind of why I have you here for today is really money, finance. Mm-hmm. You know, you kind of learn through a guy named Wayne, not just how to work hard, but to run a business. And mm-hmm. um, from a college standpoint, when did you get into the finance world? How old were you? How long have you been doing it? Mm-hmm. And uh, I've got lots of good questions for you because I probably have something to learn here. Okay. Well, I so the the, the firm I'm at now, it's uh, with Thrivent Financial and, and we're a Christian company. Yeah. The office I work in, um, junior partner with a guy named Sean Ryan, and he and my dad have been friends since we moved here in 96. So um, they're like the their neighbors now, too. Mm-hmm. Um, they own a boat together. They're, 
they're a lot of trouble. If you own a boat together, man, you know it's, it's it, connected. Yeah, it's, a, it's almost a marriage. Um, <laughs> a lot of tough decisions. Uh, but he had offered me, you know, to join him in his practice after I graduated high school. And then again, after I graduated college and both times, my response was, I don't want to work in finance. And when we were found out we were pregnant with my daughter, yeah. I told him at a, we were at a wedding and he said, well, you know, the offer still stands. And I thought, you know, I'm, I'm working in finance already, but I'm not, I, I enjoyed parts of it. Yeah. I didn't enjoy so much the, the, you know, kind of collections yeah. side of it. Yeah. Um, and so I said, I should give this some more thought because, you know, I was, I was not, I was making ministry, uh, well, 22 year old ministry yeah. <laughs> money and thought, you know, long-term this is going to not pay the bills yeah. for a growing family. So looked into it, um, really a lot of things just aligned and kind of moved me that way regardless. And that was really, um, it's really evident in, in hindsight, but I think it was kind of a, I felt a little bit of a nudge to do that. And that's usually enough for me to go off of and, and it's, it's done okay so far. Um, but now looking back on it, I can see, wow, that was the Lord prompting me because, you know, lots happened since then. Yeah. Um, you know, we've, we're growing our family. We bought a house. We're putting a new roof on today, which was lovely. That's fun. expensive. Yeah. Yes. Um, great financing though. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so yeah, uh, I've been with Thrivent three years. Um, I actually recently just earlier this year became a, a partner. Um, so I kind of get to just focus on our practice as a whole. Yeah. So I've kind of work on my own practice and have, you know, a, a stake and some input in, in this other thing. So that's been, that's yeah. been pretty nice. Um, and I enjoy it and get to, again, meet a lot of really interesting people and yep. always a new problem to solve, which is fun. And it keeps it, keeps it entertaining and interesting. Yeah. yeah. And, Never a dull moment with uh, a problem. And by the yeah. way, everybody has, everybody has a financial problem. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't care how much money you make, how much money you don't make. Yeah. We all have a problem. Mm -hmm. So how do you, as you think about the people that you mentor, I guess you'd call it mentoring, you advise, mm -hmm. uh, some are younger, like your age, because you're still in your 20s, right? right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm 27. You're 27. How do you advise those millennials in your own age group, number one? Mm -hmm. And how do you advise somebody older like me or your father-in-law or mm -hmm. whoever? Tell me sure. about that. So. It really comes down to what's important to them. Um, I can't make anything important to them. I can explain to them why I think it might need to be, but it's not going to matter if it's not important to them. And they're not going to want to do anything if it's not important to them. I My job is to try to paint a picture of their, help them see clearly where they actually are at and ask them honest questions about where they want to be. Um, a lot of times just getting asked a question will bring up something you've never thought about before. You know, well, what does that look like? How much are you going to need for this? Do you want to be able to travel? Do you want to be able to buy a new car every five years or 10 years or whatever it is? And a lot of people just think, well, I just want to be able to not work. Or, uh, And that's when you're looking at retirement planning. Now, I think talking to people my age, 
there's not much confidence in social security. <laughs> there's uh, social insecurity. Yeah, and and sometimes even the the world as a whole. Oh, it's probably not going to be around then, anyways. We're going to blow ourselves up or something. So uh, a lot of it's conversations about trying to shift the focus from this is what's good right now for me, and I like this. But what you know, what can you sacrifice now that'll make your future, you know, what you want it to be. Yeah. There's a great line I heard once that my job in the meeting is to be an advocate for them 20, 30, 40, 50 years down the road. Got it. And no one else is going to be. Well, I think what I hear you say is most people are trying to figure out how to pay the bills today because we have inflation, mm-hmm. gas prices are higher, food prices are right. higher, house prices are higher, interest rates are higher, mm-hmm. everything's higher. And so they're looking only at today. And you're like, yeah, that's important, but... What's it look like in 20 years? What do you need to do today to move the needle? Yeah. So in 20 or 30 years, 40 years, when you want to retire, you can actually do that. Right. I like how you you ask great questions. You don't tell people what to do. Mm-hmm. You ask great questions to stimulate their brain. And Try to anyway. <laughs> you try to. Yeah. Uh, and you start with, where are you? Yeah. Like, like honestly, most people don't even know where they're at. Right. Yeah. They, they might be worried, fearful of the mm-hmm. market. Um, but they actually don't know where they're at. And that's, uh, that's not an age specific thing. You know, I've, I've met with people who, um, they're in their, their eighties and I say, well, where are you at? And they go, oh, I've got some here. I've got some here. And, and as you ask more questions, oh, well, I've got this here too. And I've got this here. And you're going, they didn't really know their picture until they start digging. And, um, I guess it's kind of a good problem to have. Why is that? Why is that we... We're really curious. We want to be where we want to be in, you know, 10 or 20 years, but we don't even know where we're at. Why is that the case? Um, I think there's a couple reasons for that. And depending on the situation, I think a lot of people don't want to admit it and don't want to face it. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I, I, I talk to a lot of people with a lot of debt and there's, I think, I believe there's good debt and there's bad debt. Um, you know, $90,000 of credit card debt. Not a good thing. Not a good debt. Yeah. Um, there's, uh, you know, you leveraging a mortgage to your, you know, advantage and getting yeah. really cheap money, as you know. That's yeah. a that's a good kind of debt. Yeah. Um, but a you lot gotta of people live somewhere, right? Yeah, you kind of live somewhere. You can pay your own mortgage or pay someone else's. Pay somebody's. Uh, yeah. Um, so I I think a lot of people one don't want to look at it. Two, I think a lot of people are okay with the status quo. Hmm. Like, oh, it's it's okay. You know, it's fine. It's not worth the effort. Um, or maybe even a third would be they just don't. This is kind of related to the status quo, but they don't want to change anything. Because, yeah, it could be better, but it's good enough. And that's, you know, there, there's something nice about the contentment of it. Yeah. Um, but... Also, you know, if it's worth it to them, again, to, you know, bring up, well, you know, if you keep things the way they are now, when you pass away, you know, state of Oregon's going to end up with X. Yeah. Uh, attorney's going to end up with X. And do you like that? If there's a way to get around that, do you want to minimize that? Right. You mentioned uh, status quo or people just don't want to change. Mm-hmm. What about keeping up with the Joneses on, on social media? Yeah. 
if you get a new car, all of a sudden I want a new car. Yeah. You must be happy. I can see your smiling face by your car that you just bought. What I don't know is that you just financed a $50,000 car at $1,000 a month yeah. and you're really broke. But I misinterpret that. It looks like you're having way more fun. So I then go yeah. buy the new car and get into debt. Yeah. Uh, the book, The Millionaire Next Door, mm-hmm. uh, really impacted me. Because a lot of times you can see somebody actually who has money, who's wealthy, but they actually look like they're poor. Mm-hmm. And then you see somebody who, um, let's see, what was I saying there? Somebody who does have money, they, they appear to be poor, but then there's people who appear to be rich, mm-hmm. but they actually are poor. Yeah. So we get caught up in that. Mm-hmm. How do we do the delayed gratification you know, Dave Ramsey talks a lot about, about it a little bit. Yeah. I don't necessarily subscribe to all of Dave Ramsey, mm-hmm. but the whole debt piece. Yeah. What do you say about that? Uh, well, he has a great line. He says, if you if you don't like being debt-free, you can always go back. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great and one. And that's, you know, that's stuck with me too. As, if you don't like being debt-free, you can always yeah, go back. Yeah, you can always go back. It, there, There's plenty of offers. You get two credit card things a day in a the mail. Day. and um, Yeah, I, I think... Uh, that's where that contentment piece comes in. You know, I know a lot of people who are very wealthy and um, their lifestyle reflects that. You know, they're driving nice cars. They, you know, don't care. They can throw a big tip around and stuff. And that's, you know, their prerogative. I I think the people I prefer to work with and the person I hope to be someday is um, whether I I already think I have a really rich life. You yeah. Know, I think I think I have a lot of things that um, I know I have a lot of things that money could never buy. I have a a wonderful family. Yeah. Um, my home, you know, and beyond. My extended family is really close. Um, there's some you know stuff here and there, but every family has that, and most Everyone. most all of us love Jesus and are trying to follow Him. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I have a job that gives me a lot of flexibility and um, I get to be here on a Monday morning. So there's there's a lot of things I think I already have that if I were in even four or five years ago would would be sitting there going, man, I wish I had that. And, hmm. uh, and that's really important to look at where you are. And that's part of that process is going, wow, I'm... I'm really grateful for hmm. all of this. And um, it's one thing that I really like about Thriving as a company is you're working with faith-based people and yeah. you're, you have at least that common ground. You can relate with them. And I'll tell you when, when someone passes away uh, and it's a, you know, we call them death claims. Uh, sounds kind of morbid, but is what it is. it's a lot, old life insurance policy or something that I get to help pay out. It's a lot easier to sit with a family that's grieving when there's hope yeah. than when there's not. And I've I've had a few where there's not, um, and it's rough. It's really rough. Um, but all, all that to say, I think the biggest and maybe most important lesson in finance is being content with what you have and learning to live within your means hmm. and, and appreciate where you are at. The three takeaways I wrote down were contentment. That mm-hmm. you seem pretty content. You have a rich life. It has nothing to do with money, and you're grateful. 
I think I was just thinking this weekend, I was with my, actually, I went over to see my dad this weekend, uh, and my wife did not come with me, but I get time to reflect. Mm-hmm. I'm like, really, as an American, I'm probably in the top 5% of money earners in the entire world. So mm-hmm. are you. Yeah. Yet sometimes if we look at our, our bank account as we're lacking, mm-hmm. then we're not content. Right. But we are rich. Yeah. And rich isn't in terms of money, in terms of relationships. Yeah. So I think that's, if somebody, you're a 27-year-old teaching an old guy like me, the three things being content, that our lives are rich, and if we remain grateful, mm-hmm. that's where it all begins. The rest of the money piece, that's easy. You got to mm-hmm. get the foundation right. Yeah. Well, and it's, you know, it's an ongoing thing. I, I struggle with it, uh, with contentment big time. I I have expensive hobbies. I um, I really like cars. I can't afford nice cars. Uh, I, we have nice cars, but I can't afford, like, you know, I would love someday to have a GT350 Mustang, a 67, and they're more expensive than my house, and I'll never own Holy one, cow. but I like looking at them, yeah. and the thought of driving one someday is pretty fun. Um, I don't think that's probably a wise use of, of funds, but... It's fun to think about. It's fun to think about, and there's a there's a museum here in town that has six or seven of them. I just wrote it down. I'm going to invite you to this. I, I got... Yeah, I'd love... I went uh, a couple months ago oh, with you did my, go. My, un- my wife's uncle and, and my wife. But I would love to go again because... You're my guest. I'll bring you. Okay, I, I, got I love personal it. personal invitation, so... I love it, yeah. Cool. Hey, we're going to wrap up here in a moment, but I'm going to ask you one final question. Mm-hmm. Um, there's somebody in your life that's probably, at least from what I gather, has made a major impact in your life. That's your grandpa. Mm-hmm. So give us a, a final word on... How somebody who's 95 impacts your life Mm -hmm. from when you're a little boy to where you're at today? So both my grandpas, um, and this is, again, one of the the ways I count myself super blessed. Um, I had grandparents that absolutely loved and cared about all their grandkids and wanted time with them and the time they spent with us. We lived kind of halfway between. We were in Salem. One set's in Spokane, outside of Spokane. The other one was in Santa Rosa. And so we didn't get to see them very often. And when we did, they they were all hands-on. And, uh, you know, my my mom's dad passed away about six years ago. Maybe seven years ago now. I can't remember. Um, and he was kind of the, the man's man. He was a cowboy yeah. and um, worked contracting his whole life and, rode horses and he rode dirt bikes with us and I stuff. love this guy already. Yeah. He was, uh, you know, taught me how to shoot. He just was, he was kind of what every little boy wants to grow up to be. And I think my, and, and kind of a wild guy, you know, very devoted to the Lord, but there was no, no fear in him. And, and he did a lot of reckless things just cause well, I, I could try that. And, um, it was really fun, really fun to grow up with him as an influence and, hmm. and see his faith. Um, he preached at a nursing home every week or once a month. And, uh, you know, those audio clips we have are some of the, you know, my most treasured possessions now. And, um, and then my, my dad's dad, you know, he was in the Navy after the war in World War II, um, and became a corpsman and a, and a doctor after that. And, um, he had my dad and and two older sisters, and they went to Korea. And he was in the Peace Corps, and they adopted mm. my aunt, my aunt Mira. 
and I he he's older. He's you know my my other grandpa would be eighty two now. I think. Okay. Um, and then grandpa's 95. So, and I was on the younger end of the cousins. So I didn't really connect with him. He was always playing with us and engaged with us, but we also irritated him more, I think. And, um, wasn't until I was older, I really started getting to know him and knowing him through my dad. Hmm. So they had, you know, kind of the classic father, son, teenage years, and then, but my grandpa was always a, this steadfast, faithful voice in my dad's life. And I didn't know that growing up. I, you know, didn't really think about it. And then hearing stories now and um, and my grandpa just has always, he's very witty, even at 95, uh, almost 95. And, but he'll, he'll say little things that just sit with you and, and, um, some of them really funny, some of them just really profound. And I, and he's really helped steer my dad's life in a direction that has led to where we are um, because, you know, it's really fun to look back and see all those things and track uh, God's faithfulness through it and God's faithful followers and how that's trickled down. And um, all I really hope is, is to continue that to to my kids and now we're having a son well, and um, you know the due date is a week after my grandpa's 95th birthday so we'll have my son myself my dad and my dad's dad all together as often as we can and as many times as we can four generations man yeah That's 95 incredible. year span yeah Victor thanks for your time here mm-hmm. today it's been a lot of fun I, I know you pretty well but I always get to know my guests better as I yeah. have these conversations how do people reach out to you if they want to know a little bit more about what you do, what impacts you, maybe something on this podcast trigger them, maybe your marriage with your wife or mm-hmm. what's it like, you know, anticipating, uh, you know, your second child or your faith or your finance? How do they reach out to you? Yeah, um, I've got a Facebook page. I kind of keep up on it. It's just Victor Hux Thrivent um, or give us a call. Look us up. Uh, if you Google me, that's what you'll get. So. Well, that's fantastic. So people will be reaching out to you and uh, connect with you. So thank you. Appreciate you being a part of this. Appreciate the rec uh, hosting our podcast each week. Um, We love doing this, by the way. It's a lot of fun. And we're looking each week to impact people with someone's story. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoy this. I learn a lot. And I look forward to continue doing this. So we look forward to talking with you next week. Thank you so much.